Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, you had fair warning. Let's stand as we read that together. As God speaks to us through the scriptures, and we listen for his voice, hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you now as always for your word and open it with expectation that it is your voice that we hear in it and that that voice has something to say to us. You speak with authority. You speak the truth. You speak in a way that gives life to us, encouragement, exhortation, correction, and all of the other uh, things that we need from it, God. We trust you to do that today by your Spirit, knowing every heart as you do. And so we ask that you'd speak, O Lord, your word by your Spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. This is all yours. So move me out of the way and have your way for Christ's sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, if you were here last week, you know this is a continuation, um, not only of our study through the book of Ephesians, but in this particular passage, I said I would take it in two weeks. I'm actually going to take it in about 2.3, because uh, next week I'll, I'll actually begin at verse 18 and make our way through the end of the book. Um, there's some substance there at the end of this passage that really needs separate attention, and so I'll give it there next week. But you know that our focus last week was on the enemy and the friendly forces, as I said, as, as would be typical in a military warning order, uh, just a description of the situation. It's going to have advance notice of some action to be taken. And who's the enemy? Where is he? What is he doing? And who are the friendly forces that will be operating alongside of us? And so we talk about that from this passage and specifically observing that the enemy, our enemy, is spiritual, invisible, organized, unpredictable, and scheming, right? And prone to attack, 
to attack at any moment. And so we have to be always ready for that. And, and we also talked about the unavoidable reality that even though our enemy is spiritual and our battle is spiritual, it manifests itself in the physical realm. And it's an unavoidable reality. While our enemy is not people, that those spiritual conflicts, in, in, in a way, sort of descend upon the world like fog, and they just, they, they just become uh, involved in the affairs of men. So you have spiritual wickedness in heavenly places uh, manipulating uh, physical forces, right? Uh, political forces and, uh, and, and individuals and families and all of that kind of thing. Spiritual forces are operating in the physical realm and it's unavoidable that those two get overlap and interwoven and so on. And yet we have to be mindful always that the command center, as it were, operates in the heavenly realms, in the invisible realms. And that's who our real enemy is. And uh, we must plan our defense, our attack, our strategies accordingly. And so this morning, as having looked at the enemy and the friendly, so to, so to speak, I want to I take a look at that the actionable instructions were given. As, as I said, it, it, it might in a warning order be uh, mission and general instructions here, but I want to look specifically this morning at three commands that were given here for battle readiness. Three commands for battle readiness. The first is, be strong. It opens up in verse 10 that way, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Three different words really conveying this idea of strength and power. But we are not reliant on our own strength. I've mentioned this last week as we looked at our, our friendly forces are the Lord himself and he's already victorious. We have him and all of his resources available to us and he's already won the battle. Uh, the, the, it has to be brought to its finality, but the end is certain for the enemy. And the end is certain for us, as friends of Jesus, we have eternity to look forward to in his presence. And so as we conduct this battle, we're not reliant on our own strength, but on the Lord's. But this imperative, be strong, would be familiar to the student of the Bible would have been familiar to the Jewish listener for sure, even in the first century, those uh, Gentile believers who might be uh, a little bit studied or um, learned in the Old Testament. Be strong is found 31 times in the Bible, 29 of those in the Old Testament. And you'd be familiar with many of those. You can think of some probably, even as I'm mentioning, it's frequently spoken in connection with an upcoming battle. Because warfare is a common theme throughout the Old Testament, as you know. It's common throughout human history, right? There's really never a time in history, there's not even a time in our lifetime where warfare wasn't part of the story of human affairs on the earth, uh, even right now. But it's a common uh, command and common to read phrases like we see in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong 
and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. There's that kind of command given often to the people of God as they prepare for battle, as they prepare to defend themselves against the enemy. Be strong and courageous. It's also given in places like 1 King, 1 Kings 2.2, when David... King David is about to die. His son Solomon is about to take the throne in his place. And he says to Solomon, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. That's a good word. That's a good word. And all of us men need to be told that from time to time. There are a whole lot of men who need to be told that in this day and age. Show yourself a man. Be strong. And my point in picking that, there are 29 uh, of them throughout the Old Testament, 31 total, as I said. But some, many given in the face of warfare, here just given in the face of responsibility. He's going to become king, and it's a hard task. And his father says, be strong. Show yourself a man. It's a mindset, in other words. A part of what Paul is telling us here is to, is to sort of charge us up. It's like for those, for those who played uh, sports, maybe, maybe football in particular uh, comes to mind, where getting ready to, to take the field, football players will just smack each other on the helmet a little bit and on the pads or whatever, just rough each other up a little bit, and it's sort of a physical gesture be strong do the hard thing it's a mindset and an act of will it is a choice to reach as far down inside of ourselves as we have to and just resolve to face our fears even though we're afraid of them that's what makes them fears but to face them to do the hard thing, whatever that is. And sometimes, we just need to be told that, right? We need to be reminded. Sometimes when we are weak and weary for legitimate reasons, sometimes, maybe when they're less legitimate and we're just wallowing in self-pity, when we, when we get into that spiral and we just want to talk ourselves into a lower and lower place, sometimes we need a word of comfort and encouragement. Sometimes we just need the empathy of someone's presence with us. But sometimes we need to be told, be strong. Suck it up. Something's demanded of you and you need to go do the hard thing. Face your fear. Do the hard thing. Be strong. That's the word Paul begins with, the first command he gives us as we prepare for battle. And the church needs to hear that word in 2023. Be strong. Second, suit up. Be strong and suit up. Verses 13 through 17 describe the armor of God. As I said last week, it's really what we think of when we think of this passage. You're familiar with it. Um, It's even what the headings in in your Bibles say this is about, and for good reason. 
but it describes the armor of God. Many of you have been in in-depth Bible studies about this armor, and so you know there's a lot that could be said here. Uh, there, there are things you can get into as you study this passage, like the historical background uh, about the, the armor that a Roman soldier wore and kind of the way those function together and so forth. And then you could, you could build upon that in that study by uh, sort of taking each one of those pieces of armor and connecting it to its spiritual counterpart and, 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 and discussing things like in what sense does truth function as a belt? Or why is, why is uh, salvation our helmet? Why is righteousness a breastplate? And so on. And you, in other words, you can drill way down. You can get uh, to a, a very detailed study. I know from our Wednesday night discussion, for those who were there, many of you have been in such a detailed study, and it's, it could be very profitable. I'm not going to go deep and detailed today, partly because we don't have time to... Uh, but also because I don't want us to miss the per- what, what are perhaps the more obvious points of this in, 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 his, in his word to us about the armor of God. I want to make two observations about that in particular. Number one, that just as our enemy is spiritual, so are our weapons. Now, we know that on an academic level, but, but just as we talked about last week, people can read uh, that our, our, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. And they will say, amen, ready, break. And they'll go right out of the huddle fighting people, right? As if people are the enemy. And, and, and in a similar way, we can make that same acknowledge about, about a spiritual enemy and go out fighting that battle in exclusively physical ways. And as I said, the reality is there's overlap of the spiritual and the physical realm, and you can't avoid engaging on a physical level. But our weapons, the, 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 the armor that we're told to take up is spiritual in nature, and we don't need to miss that point. But the second thing about it uh, is sort of, it's intended to be an obvious point, I think, in the way it's written by Paul. That it is a suit of armor, if you will. That it all goes together. It's all one unit of armor. It's, it's actually, in the Greek language, one word. A pa- panoplia. In other words, he says, put on your, your panoplia. It is a, the full armor of God. In other words, there's hemph- emphasis on the whole armor, or the full armor that we might not get in English, and we might not understand because we don't wear armor. But it is, we need all of it. In other words, we, not, we need all the pieces of that to form one unit in a complementary way. And so I, I want us to look at sort of at one glance on a slide that shows what makes up that whole armor of God in terms of the spiritual armor. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace or the readiness that it uh, provides for us, faith, salvation, and the Word of God, all of that we need together at the same time in a complementary fashion in order to engage in the battle that we're called to engage in. Now, why do I mention this? Well, partly because, again, most of us are inclined to prefer some of that armor over others, right? 
Some people want to, want to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of truth and the, and the shoes of truth and the helmet of truth and take up the sword of truth and give them the truth, by golly. And, and see, our scheming enemy, our scheming enemy sees the weakness in that immediately. Do you know how exposed we are if we try to arm ourselves with a single weapon in six different places? And I should say, conversely, there are people who, who want to take up the whole armor of peace, right? They just, uh, let's just be gentle. I don't want to stir anything up. Uh, let's, don't upset anybody. Just, you know, you know. None of those by themselves functions adequately as our armor. It is a suit. It is a unit. It is all supposed to go together. And so truth is part of, uh, uh, of that armor. And here's the other thing I would say. I do think trust that by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has given us specific correlations between things like truth and the belt and, and, and faith as a shield and so on. Um, but I think more importantly, it is just the fact that we need all of those. We, we need to be clothed with, armed with, engaging uh, truth, righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness credited to you by faith, um, and our own that we're supposed to, uh, to live out in imitation of him. We already read in, in Ephesians 4, verse 24, where we're told, put off the old self, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are called to a life of righteousness, imitating Christ and, and sort of living out what he's, you know, working out what he's worked in, into us. I want to acknowledge that. But the, the much more important truth here is that we possess the righteousness of Christ. If we, had to, if we had to fight the enemy on the basis of our own righteousness, we best not even enter the battlefield. But Christ's righteousness is credited to us, and we stand confidently in the strength of that. Because the enemy... The enemy cannot overcome him or his. Do you understand that? That's why I said last week, he, he's already won. He died, he rose again, and the enemy won't get another crack at him. He'll go after the people of God. He will not be ultimately victorious against the people of God, but he doesn't even get another shot at the Son of God. And so we stand in the strength of his righteousness, the gospel of peace. Interesting, isn't it? I'm not going to really unpack all of these things. Interesting, though, isn't it, that part of the, our readiness for war is a message of peace. I just think that's an interesting uh, cause for just reflection and consideration. Part of the way we ready ourselves for war is by clothing ourselves with a message of peace. It's peace with God, the gospel that is. 
Because, because his wrath toward man has been satisfied by the death of Christ. So that we have peace with God. And through it, peace with one another as well. But we need to walk in faith. Uh, we need to be reminded of our salvation that is full and final and eternal. We've been saved from the wrath of God. And so, as, as Christians in the first century receiving this letter and all down through the centuries face intense persecution and opposition, intense adversity, and all kinds of reasons why they might just want to give it up and say, I'm going to go be something else. I got too many spears pointed at me because of this one. All through those centuries, and even for, for, for those of us who have much less adversity than that, we have all of these uh, pieces of our armor that remind us that we have a hope, and it is a sure hope. It has been secured by Jesus. It is laid up for us, and then it awaits us beyond the veil of whatever this life entails for us, beyond all of that is eternity of pleasure in the presence of God and in His glory. But, of course, the final weapon we're told to arm ourselves with here, uh, with here is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This, of course, is related to the truth that we talked about earlier, but the Word of God is the same weapon. This may have struck many of you who have, are reading this now or thinking about studies in the time past. The same weapon that Jesus used against the enemy when he was tempted in the desert, right? Tempted three times, and in every case, he answers, it is written, it is written, it is said, Jesus, who could call down a whole legion of angels, wave his hand, snap his finger, do whatever he wanted to to overcome the enemy in his divine nature, does in his human nature what you and I can also do. And that is speak the word of God back to the enemy. It's powerful. And it's our offensive weapon there. So we're told to be strong, to suit up, and finally to stand firm. Stand firm. You notice there in, uh, in this passage, he told us in verse 11, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand, and then take up the whole armor of God in verse 13 that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. He really leans on this idea that this command to us is to stand. Make your stand. I think it's probably safe to say, at least in a certain respect, that the greatest risk to these early Christians receiving this letter and others to whom Paul would have written in his day, the, the greatest risk to them is that they would lose hope and just abandon the faith. And he writes of some who did, even specifically at the end of 2 Timothy. 
but there were others along the way. And again, for, for fair reason, you might say, I mean, there, there's, it's understandable. We could be sympathetic to people um, who, who gave way under the great pressure that they faced, uh, the pressure that most of us have never faced and perhaps never will. But so that's probably the greatest risk. You remember Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Part of, part of what the Christian is called to, we, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. The, the, the New Testament talks about salvation in all those respects. It is past, it is present, it is future. And, and part of this uh, future uh, manifestation of our, of our salvation comes after we have persevered in the faith. That when we've pressed through the weakness and the weariness, the persecution, the imprisonments for some, the threats, and so on and so forth. It's very much related to the command to be strong, right? You see the connection. Be strong and stand firm. Closely related here. Strength is to be demonstrated by a firm stand in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 is one of the two New Testament references that I found that used to have this command, be strong. That one, one of the other two is the one we're reading, by the way, if you didn't pick that up. Ephesians 6 is one of those, be strong. But 1 Corinthians 16, the other, and, and Paul gives a general exhortation to all believers. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I'm grinning at that because I don't know if that, if that has an ironic twist to you at all. When we think of what, what, what the sort of command to be strong, what it stirs up in us, isn't maybe first love, right? As we... as, as as those football players are on the sidelines smacking themselves around and getting ready for the game, I'm going to go out there and love those guys, right? That we, don't, we don't associate those very well. I love the fact, though, that, that, that Paul does not view these as incompatible at all, and we need to see the same thing. That being strong, standing firm, does not require being nasty. It may, in a certain respect, require us to be adversarial. But we can still do that, even in love. But be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. There are some translations that actually translate that phrase, act like men, as just be courageous, which is, which is a fair translation of that. It certainly means that. Um, and, and, of course, Part of the reason they would translate it that way is because this is written to men and women. It's all Christians telling them to be strong. I love the fact that there is this clear association uh, between strength and the proper disposition of a man. That's another, that just is a whole other lesson, men's group. Y'all can, can t discuss that and take it up as you will. But play the man is another way that could be said. 
Stand firm in the faith till the end. Again, we don't face the kind of opposition and adversity today as many in other parts of Christians in other parts of the world do today and many have throughout the course of history. We don't face that kind of opposition, but it has been enough opposition and enough discomfort for, uh, for lots of Christians to at least flirt with giving it up. And if not that, not being strong, but being weak. Not standing firm, but going into hiding. And I'm reminded in the course of, uh, uh, in the context of that, there could be many stories we could think of of believers who have stood firm in the faith and have been remembered throughout history for it. Uh, one in particular is Polycarp. I've, I've mentioned him uh, before, and you may know, know of him from other studies or reading or what have you. But I thought of him particularly as, his, as an example of standing firm, but also this, this phrase in 1 Corinthians of act like men or play the man. Polycarp was a Christian bishop in the 2nd century, uh, bishop of Smyrna, actually. It, I say actually because you may, you may remember the, the church of Smyrna being mentioned as one of those uh, churches in the book of Revelation. But he was, uh, became a bishop in the, early, in, in the first half of the 2nd century. He had been personally discipled by the Apostle John. So when it, again, when he sat in men's group, as it were, at the coffee shop in Smyrna, uh, he, he was hanging out with the Apostle John. And he became a man of great strength and character, also a man known for just great grace. He was very patient with people and loving and so forth. But he became, because of his position and prominence, prominence a target of the Roman government for execution and so he was taken to Rome to be put to death there's a written account actually of his martyrdom It's the first written account of a Christian martyrdom outside of the New Testament um, and, and, I, and I would say it reads like one that's probably uh, embellished a little bit um, there are probably ways in which it's it's um, if not sensationalized, there are probably elements of it that are overplayed a little bit as that's written down. But representing something accurate and historical about his life and death. But he, he was taken to Rome, and that uh, record of the martyrdom of Poly, Polycarp says, as he was being taken into the arena, a voice came to him from heaven saying, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Uh, again, whether uh, how that was come, how that came to be known, I don't know. But it has been remembered by the church that that was the word: be strong, and play the man. The proconsul told him to repent, meaning renounce Christ, and swear uh, your, uh, by the fortune of Caesar. Repent. Polycarp refused. And the proconsul said, I have wild animals here. If you don't repent, I will throw you to them. And Polycarp replied, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent of what is good 
and turn to what is evil. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and turn to what is evil. I'd say that is a, that is, that's a good quote for a lot of 21st century American Christians too because that's exactly what we are invited to do, urged to do, even bullied to do a little bit. To affirm as good what God calls evil. To celebrate it as good what God calls evil. It is unthinkable that the people of God should repent from what is good and turn to what is evil. And that was Polycarp's word. Uh, the, the, The writing goes on to say that the proconsul told him, well, if you despise the animals, I have flames of fire to you. And the short paraphrase of Polycarp's response was, bring it on. He says, you, you, you have flames that'll burn for an hour and then they'll be distinguished. You don't even know about the eternal flames that God has uh, for judgment toward the ungodly. What are you waiting for, he said. Or that's what's recorded about what he said. Why are you waiting? Bring it on. Let's go ahead and get over with it. Strength. A firm stand. One that uh, uh, illustrated in a way that probably none of us will will ever be required to. But it it is standing firm in the faith until the very end. That's what we're urged to. That's what Paul is really encouraging, exhorting the people of Ephesus to. And would have the same word to say to us. Be strong, suit up, stand firm. We don't know what awaits us in the future, what kind of adversity, um, but we have an idea of what they are right now. And there are those moments where the demand of the hour is that we speak the truth rather than being silent. Where the demand of the hour is to Trust God by faith rather than giving in to fear because of what the circumstances appear to be right in front of us. Where the demand of the hour is to speak the word of God back to the enemy. And of course there are many such hours where the call, uh, the demand of the hour is for us to do what Stephen did in the face of his own persecution, speaking the truth with a peace about him that gave him a face like an angel. Just a joy and a strength that are inexplicable to go together, that the world can't even understand. That there, that, that there may be the hour for us where the, the emphasis we need to put on the message that we preach is one of peace with God and with one another. But whatever, whatever that might be, whatever the hour might, might call for, we, we clothe ourselves 
with the full armor of God and we stand firm against the enemy and against every person, uh, institution, organization, principality, power, cosmic powers of this age, all of that, whoever it is that he enlists to participate with them and that he would send against us, we stand firm. And I would just say in conclusion, a little bit of a footnote, um, I think that considering the, the polycarps of church history, and there are a good many of them, we have probably, uh, in it, this may be a situation where in our Protestant heritage we threw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to, because we uh, discarded the whole uh, notion of praying to saints and, and, and worshiping saints and venerating saints or whatever, we sort of got rid of saints altogether. And I think the church has been edified by remembering the great men and women of the faith who have stood strong till the end. And that they're encouraged by that. Those ought to be some of our heroes. Where we mark, the, the, we, we mark in church history the death of a martyr, not his birth. I've mentioned that before. But it's because their death marked that last day on which they persevered. They stood firm until that day, and then they entered the glory for which they had persevered all those years anyway. And we are edified, and we are personally strengthened by being reminded of those stories, by taking encouragement from them and following their example. Be strong, suit up, stand firm. Let's pray. Well, God, we do need to be told sometimes. We need to be reminded to stand, to, 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 to be strong. To be strong. That in spite of the good reasons we might have to be anxious, to be weak and weary, the good reasons we might come up with to have almost lost hope, to be down to just a, a threadbare hope, then we need to be told from time to time to be strong and to stand firm. And God, I pray, I pray that you would stir up the church of Jesus Christ in this hour of history, that we would do exactly that. That whether we are speaking or whether we are remaining silent, we are not backing up one step from the enemy. We are not turning and retreating. We are not surrendering and we never will. Because we are yours and you are eyes and you are the victor. So God, would you stir us up, strengthen us with your strength and might and anchor our feet where we stand that we might remain steadfast in the faith for the purposes to which you've called us for the things you have appointed for us in the future 
and for the sake of the believers around us who will watch our example, who will hear about our steadfast faith, who will in, in generations to come be encouraged and strengthened by those. Help us to stand that you might accomplish on this earth your purposes through your church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.